Who's got five minutes? You have five minutes? Oh. It's five, ten, fifteen. I'll take fifteen minutes. So y'all turn to Isaiah 35. I don't want you to leave without uh, hearing about the highway of holiness. We couldn't talk enough about missions. That trip cost about $14,500, and I would have spent, I'd have spent five times that. That just happens to be all we had for it. And uh, all I can tell you is that we are not interested in building Disneyland here. Not a book club, not a bless me club, not, not a self-help center. We're interested in taking the gospel to the world. And the poorest in the world cannot come to us, and we have something they need. So I want to go to them. And I hope that that trickle becomes a stream and the stream becomes a raging torrent. Uh, we're going to head out to Africa soon. Now, I know most of you have been in churches where you plan those things years in advance. We tend to plan days in advance. Uh, that's the kind of budget we're usually working on. If it's there, we go. If it's not there, we don't go. But I've gone all over the world now. And I can tell you that when people receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, the real authentic thing, there's an immediate change. It's not hard to discern. You don't have to watch for weeks to see whether it's real. It's immediate. Isaiah 35 paints a picture exactly like that. Watch this. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Pretty clearly these first few verses teach us that what was dry or what was parched is now happy. That what was wilderness is now blossoming. That you can see the glory of the Lord. There would be physical changes. This will happen in the earth, but it happens first in God's people. When the word begins to enter and permeate your life, something happens. It starts to bubble out. It starts to show up. When you ask if a man was a Christian and the answer is, well, I think so, I can most assure you that he was not. Because if a man is in love with the living God, it is as obvious as a desert that has suddenly bloomed with flowers. When something is parched and you pour water on it, it rejoices. When you have something that was wilderness, that was barren, that is now blossoming, it's signs of life. You know a tree by its fruit, friends. If you are a Christian, the world should see your light. When we move down to the third verse, we say, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs, and haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds, and papyrus will grow. These four verses teach us that weakness and fear are displaced with something. When a man is born again, we find out that God is coming with retribution. What should we fear if God is going to set everything straight? So you were cheated on your job. 
God kept score. You don't have to. So your loved one wronged you. God kept score. You do not have to. There will be a day of retribution for the wicked. When the Lord comes to save those who are His, there is an accounting for those who refused to be His. Because the Lord says, vengeance is mine, vengeance is not ours. This is an immediate change from the world who has to keep score, that has to keep tally, who has to keep count. Fear and weakness are displaced because we know that retribution is coming with the Lord and we know better than that, salvation is coming with the Lord. Peter said that we are receiving the salvation of our souls when a man knows that his life is wrapped up in eternity, suddenly that which is temporal loses its luster. When a person has been born again, when your life has thoroughly changed, salvation occupies your thoughts. We have retribution on the way. We have salvation on the way. But we also have healing. When a man's life begins to get set in order, God sets the whole life in order. If He can save your soul, He can heal your body. And if He can heal your body, then He can save your soul. How many in this church have been healed at one point or another in your life? Look around. Don't tell me healing stopped in the first century. Don't tell me that the last apostle... Look around, saints. Say, well, I prayed one time and I didn't get healed. Keep praying. Keep praying. We are receiving the salvation of our souls. He's not my genie. He doesn't do what I ask Him to do. I do what He asked me to do. That's how this works. We're receiving salvation. We're receiving healing. Now, it's not only physical healing that accompanies salvation. You can see it all around. Suddenly, a man that couldn't relate to others is struggling to learn how. Someone incapable of loving their spouse, loving their children, is healed in such a way that now they're able to flow with the love of God. Jesus has been the answer always for mankind. He is the answer for the earth at large. The last thing that those verses teach us is that He's going to restore even the earth. When we see that in haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, whatever man has ruined, Whatever we have laid waste, whatever sin has corrupted, it will not be Al Gore that fixes it. It will not be the Green Party. It will not be a chainsaw-free zone that fixes it. The living God is coming to restore all things. It begins inside of you. You are the witness to the world that He is capable of doing it. You are the light of the world as the brothers have preached. Pick up with me in verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them in sorrow and sighing will flee. Verses 8 through 10 speak of a way of holiness. This is the first thing that accompanies a man's life when he is born again. His desires have fundamentally changed. His walk has fundamentally changed. No unclean dangers. Oh, Jesus, could we learn this? If the body of Christ would walk in the way of holiness, 
would not be in danger of being tainted by that which is unclean. The way of holiness is not littered with potholes of pornography. The way of holiness is not littered with a highway of lust. The way of holiness is free from such things. If our lives are full of these things, we are not in the way of holiness. A man's way, well, someone says it this way, blessed is he who does not walk in the way of the wicked. A man's way determines what the man is. And when a man has been born again, he walks in the way of holiness. Oh, don't you long for a day when there are no wicked fools? <laughs> Where there is no one in the company of the righteous that has wicked desires and who is a fool in his heart denying the very existence of God. The way of holiness has neither unclean nor has it wicked fools. Maybe my favorite is it says the lion shall not be there, shall not get up on it. Sounds like a song from the 80s, right? Up on it. What does that mean? If I'm down here and I have to get up onto the stage, you have to elevate to be on the way of holiness. You have to raise your game. And how does it happen? We take up the cross daily. We are crucified with Christ. We die to this world and its pleasures. And so he places us in his way, in the way of holiness. And there, friends, there are no lions. See, if you don't want anything the world has, the lion has nothing to tempt you with. If you don't want anything that the world has, then the lion has nothing to threaten you with. You are on the way of holiness, predator-free. He says, but only the redeemed will walk there. This is a way that is exclusive to the righteous. No one who has not been born again will be comfortable on the way of holiness. They will simply find an exit. They will get off on some lonely freeway. They will get off on some bent service road. But they will not be on the king's highway. It may be a service road that parallels the king's highway for a time. It might be a freeway that looks like a great way, but in the end, it's all a tollway. There's a price to pay for not being on the king's highway, and the wage of sin is your death. This scripture is written for us to see. It's written for us to know for certain that in this world that we're traversing through, there is a right way and a wrong way. There is Yahweh God, and then there is lesser demonic power. Ephesians 2 makes it very clear that we will be filled with the spirit of obedience or a spirit of disobedience. There is no middle ground. My heart's desire is that you would be found with me on the king's highway. Because on the king's highway, singing and joy replace sighing and sorrow. You can find that in the last verse. Singing and joy replace sighing and sorrow. On that old freeway that ends up being a tollway, there is lots of sighing and sorrow. It costs more than you wanted it to. It hurts more than they told you it would. And at the end of it, your life is broken in ways that you never dreamed it could have been. But on the highway, he puts you together. Where you were dry, he waters you. Where you were barren, he causes you to bloom. He replaces your sighing and sorrow with joy in singing. The king's highway is not burdensome. 
It's joyful. If your religion has become to you burdensome, you are not in the highway of holiness. You are on the service road. If religion to you has become boring, then you are still on the toll road and you just don't know it. You misread the signs. Now when we say called in the way of holiness, we need to know that the way of holiness is defined by those who walk in that way. To walk in that way requires not just belief in the direction, but actual movement. I want to encourage you that you cannot sit on your salvation and be said to be walking in the highway. Walking is motion, it is movement. You'll find in the fifth chapter of Genesis that Exodus, that Enoch walked with God. Fifth chapter of Genesis. You'll find in the sixth chapter of Genesis, Noah walked with God. Men who discovered the way of holiness moved towards holiness. They moved towards the king. In Hebrew, this is called the halakha. It's not enough to believe a command. It's not enough to know a mitzvah. You have to know how to carry it out. And how you carry it out is called walking in it. In the scripture, we walk in the way of our king. We don't sin and believe it. We don't ascend to it. We don't acknowledge that it's there. We walk in it. And when we find that we're walking in the wrong way, we U-turn. That's called Teshuvah. Repent. It's to completely turn around, turn and abandon your way and walk in His way. The King's highway. I told you before that the highway is elevated. You can't get there from here. You have to start somewhere else. If you can't get there from here, where do you start? He has to place you on the highway. You could never get there yourself. When you say, I want to be crucified with Christ, when you die in Him, He does for you what you could never do for yourself. He conquers sin and death in you and places you in a new life on a new road that He calls His highway. It's the highway of the redeemed. It was prophesied about. I can't turn to Him, so I'm going to ask you to put Him on the screen. In Isaiah 2, let's look at the first through fifth verse. It's prophesied about there. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will have trained for war any longer. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. When the nations stream towards God's ideals, God's principles, fellowship with God, when they walk in the light of the Lord, that marks the king's highway. It will not just be Israel alone, all of the prophets, but especially Isaiah. And Isaiah eleven sixteen, tell us things like, there will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from, what's that nation? Assyria. Assyria. There was no greater enemy in the day that Isaiah was written than Assyria. But God said, even among your enemies, I will take people and they will walk in the highway. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, as there was for Israel when they came up out of Egypt. If you would ever like to blow your mind, then read Isaiah 19, 23. 
Because Isaiah 19.23 teaches that it is not just Egypt and Assyria, but also Israel, that all three will form a highway together. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. See, what man could never do, what you could never accomplish by sending Hillary Clinton to the Middle East, God can do with a flick of his finger. He can take people from their wicked way and place them on his highway. He can turn a nature around. He can change a nation so that those who were enemies suddenly are walking in the way of the redeemed. It turns out that our Lord is not willing that any should perish, but desires that all men would be saved. We say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, so shall he be saved. This is what we said. But then the question comes, who will call? Our Lord will not leave himself without witness, unless, of course, you leave him without witness. Are you walking in that way? Are you shining the light in that way? Are others able to see your life and say, that's the way I want to walk? In John 14, 6, Jesus said it very loudly, very boldly. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was identifying himself as the highway, the only right path to God, not many paths, the only path, an elevated path, a path based on holiness. The early believers latched on to this to the point that in Acts 9, 2, you see a phrase. And they asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This was Saul's occupation, was to go find those who were walking in that way, the way, the king's highway. How about Acts 19.9? But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Long before there was a church of Christ, long before there was a Baptist denomination, long before the Lutherans rose into being, those who followed the way were called followers of the way. It was considered a sect within Judaism because the king of Israel was a Jew. None of them ever dreamed that they would be considered a different religion. They simply had found the highway that the Jewish prophet Isaiah had said would be there. And it was found in the man Yeshua, who is the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel and even the world. How about 1923? About that time there rose a great disturbance about the way. See, people do not like it when you walk in the highway because if you're in the highway and they're not alongside you, then they're out of the way. They're no way. How about Acts 22.4? I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And how about Acts 24.22? Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. 
I would like to tell you that Isaiah 66, that Zechariah 13, that as many prophets as you can think of spoke about the way. And they said that men would walk in that way and they would go back to Jerusalem and they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. The whole world would know that there was a day when the people of God had once dwelt in temporary shelters. And now they're glorified for the world to see. The sons of God revealed. All healed. All in the highway. Even the earth itself would be healed in a millennial reign of the Messianic age. Friends, if you don't get on the highway now, you will not finish where the highway ends. See, you can't just jump on at the last exit. It doesn't work that way. If you don't enter through the way, the truth, and the life, you are not on the highway. I beg that you find yourself on the highway. I've replaced sighing and sorrow with singing and joy. I have no fear of lions any longer. I'm simply about the king's business on the king's roads. And so the king's provision is with me, the king's power is with me, and the king's praise is in me. I pray that be the case for you. Stand to your feet and we'll pray.